Section 17 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in July 2016. Essay 15 The Ascending Series of Dimensions by D. W. S. Davidson, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In setting out to investigate the possibility of a dimension above our present conceptions, we necessarily proceed along the lines of analogy. From comparative investigations in existence of one, two, and three dimensions, we will deduce parallel results to enable us to establish formulas by which may be derived an abstract conception of some of the elementary properties of a body in four-dimensional space. To be consistent, we must proceed with the same care with which an astronomer would try to people a remote planet. While considering conditions which make life possible in his own sphere, he would make specific modifications in order to bring it into complete harmony with the new environments. Although the practical representations of lines and points have appreciable size in all directions, we should not forget that in our discussion these are abstract terms, the latter having only position, and the former merely a distance between any two positions. In like manner, a surface is imaginary, independent in space, or forming a terminating plane of a body. It is devoid of thickness to such an extent that were an infinite number to be placed one upon the other, the aggregate would still have no thickness. We will consider, first, the limitations in the perceptions of beings in a world of one dimension, that is, existence in an infinite path through space, some portion of which may be represented by the line AB, figure 1. We will suppose that at various points in this path, separated from each other, creatures A, B, and C are in progress, A representing a point, B, a creature having length, and C, a creature similar to B, but longer. This variety of form is apparent to us because our experience is gained through observing these objects from without the plane of their existence. To the creature A, however, B is merely a point like itself, and to B, C is also a point. This arises from the fact that, having knowledge only of distance and location in their own path, anything requiring a realization of a third quality would be lost to them. Creature A observing B in the figure would see him as a point because he sees only the end of B. Suppose the bodies A, B and C continued in their relative positions to one another throughout their entire existence. Each would then, through his restricted knowledge of the other, be forced to different conclusions regarding the form of life outside his own. Now, A, conscious of his own existence as a point, and observing B as a point, would erroneously, though logically, conclude that all life existed in point bodies. Creature B, upon seeing A and C as points, and being conscious of his own length, would at once conclude that he was especially favoured by the Creator above his fellow beings, apart from the ordinary course of nature. 
In figure 1 we employed any line or path in space, but to avoid complications in succeeding diagrams we shall adopt the straight line. A terminated line may be considered as a path of a point in space, bounded by its initial and final positions. The terminated straight line is the particular case where the point moves from one position to another by the shortest route AB, figure 2. If we move AB through the shortest path to the final location A'B', we obtain a plane figure, and if AB be moved in this manner, a total distance equal to its length, figure 3, the result will be the definite plane figure known as a square. Hence the square may be called the elementary figure in the two-dimensional world, just as we consider a terminated straight line the elementary figure in the one-dimensional world. In passing from the lineal to the aerial existence, we find that we have greatly multiplied the number of possible varieties in shapes. Thus, our two-dimensional world may have not only creatures represented by points and lines, but also by numerous heterogeneous forms, including many familiar ones, such as the square, rectangle, triangle, and circle. Here, as in the former case, figure 1, only by careful demonstration, such as the superimposing of various bodies for purposes of comparison, could these creatures get even an intimation of the endless variety of forms about them, or establish to any definite degree their relationships. An idea of the limited variety of forms that present themselves to the casual observer in such a two-dimensional world may be gained by us if we cut various shaped objects from paper and look at them edgewise. A long narrow strip will appear as a point or a line, according as the spectator views it from the end or from the side, while the square, circle, triangle and rectangle will appear merely as lines of various lengths. It would be only fair, however, to endow at least a few of these creatures with minds sufficiently mathematical to establish a few simple relationships. Suppose them to be confronted with the problem of proving the entire equality by the Euclidean method of the triangles uppercase A, B, C and lowercase A, B, C figure 4, when it is granted that the side uppercase AB is equal to the side lowercase AB, uppercase AC is equal to lowercase AC, and the angle uppercase CAB is equal to the angle lowercase CAB. The mechanical operation here is within their possibilities. Let us now place the same figures in the positions shown in figure 5. Given the same hypothesis, it might appear at first glance that this case is similar to figure 4, but a closer examination shows that figure 5 involves the simple preliminary operation of reversing one of the triangles before it can be superposed upon the other. It is evident that this turning over process requires a knowledge of three dimensions, and therefore, to creatures with a comprehension of only length and breadth, the possibility of an Euclidean proof would be inconceivable. We will now suppose our two-dimensional world pierced by a line LN, figure 6, 
and imagine it to consist of such material that the line may be moved about at will without necessitating its withdrawal from or tearing the plane. It is evident that the only portion of this line which could be detected by these creatures would be the point P, a form of creature with which we have supposed them familiar, freely moving about and apparently limited to the two-dimensional existence, while in reality requiring three-dimensional space for its accommodation. We now come to the consideration of objects with which we are familiar, namely those in three-dimensional space. All forms of matter manifest to our senses require space for their accommodation, having length, breadth and height. The plane, line and point exist in theory only to aid man in the present crude state of his mental development to build up imperfect images in conformity with forms as he senses them in the material world. As universal laws are the media through which nature works, she builds according to conditions and environments and inscrutable laws of economy. In nature, the straight line and the plane surface are the exceptions, appearing most frequently among the lower forms of plant and animal life, but man, ignorant of the finer considerations which shape the course of nature and continually prone to error, must accomplish his results by the simplest, most direct methods within his comprehension. In doing this, he has adopted as the standard of length a straight line, the unit of area, a plane figure known as the square, and the unit of volume, a six-sided figure called the cube. We have already seen how the plane may be derived from the straight line. By the same method we shall construct the elementary figure of three-dimensional space. Referring to figure 3, let us imagine the square AA prime B prime B moved at right angles to its surface, a distance equal to one of its sides. In doing this, we have generated a figure, figure 7, which is three-dimensional. Suppose that in selecting the straight line AB, from which our figures have been constructed, we had chosen one two inches long, then the elementary geometrical figures would have a corresponding mathematical representation, thus, the line equals 2, the square equals 2 squared, the cube equals 2 to the power of 3. Now since we have also such expressions as 2 to the power of 4, 2 to the power of 5, etc., for which we have found no geometrical solution, the question naturally arises whether there does not exist, beyond the limit of man's present knowledge, a higher order of beings for the comprehension of whom we, as three-dimensional beings, would require additional perceptive powers. With our present mental limitations, however, it would be impossible even to attempt to define an object which would require four-dimensional space for its accommodation, but by analogy we can deduce a few interesting facts regarding a figure which would apparently occupy the same position in the new world that the cube holds in our own. We have seen that 1. Points form the terminations of a straight line. 2. Straight lines terminate or bound the square and 3. Squares form the bounding surfaces of the cube. 
Thus we have established that the elementary figure of each existence is contained within figures having one dimension less than itself. We therefore conclude that our four-square figure would be terminated by cubes. In deriving the square from the line, we move along the shortest path from the initial to the final positions, these being separated from each other a distance equal to the line itself. Similarly, the cube was generated by moving the square through space until it occupied a final position at a distance equal to one of its sides from its initial position. In both cases, the motion took place in a direction at right angles to each and all of the boundaries of the generating figure. We therefore conclude that our four-square figure might be generated by the displacement of the cube a distance equal to one of its sides, and in a direction at right angles to all of its containing sides. What this direction would be is as foreign to our understanding as a conception of height would prove to creatures in a two-dimensional world. In the movement of the line to form the square, the number of boundaries obtained for the new figure was twice the original, plus two lines generated by the terminating points of the line. In like manner, the containing sides of the cube were formed by the first and last positions of the square, plus four squares created by the four containing lines. From these considerations, it would appear that the four square would have at its boundaries the initial and final positions of the cube, plus six cubes formed by the displacement of the surfaces of the original figure, or a total of eight cubes. Again referring to our square and cube, we see that the number of points or corners in the constructed figure is twice the number of points or corners in the generating figure. Thus, the line with two limiting points gives the square four corners, the cube has eight corners, and the four square, on this basis, would have sixteen. The number of lines or edges connecting the corner points is as follows. In the square, twice the original line plus two lines traced by its ends. In the cube, four lines for each position of the square, plus four lines described by its four corners. The number of edges of a figure, then, is seen to be twice the number of lines or edges in the generating figure, plus an edge formed by each one of its corners. Therefore, our four-square would give edges as follows. 12 times 2 plus 8 equals 32. To sum up, our four-square would have 8 containing cubes, 16 corners, and 32 edges. And if our generating cube measured two inches on an edge, the content of this new figure would be represented by two to the power of four. Curious as the above geometrical deductions may appear, they are surpassed by the dramatic results that would accompany a conception of the fourth dimension. To a creature with a knowledge of mere length and breadth, our physical representation of lines on a plane surface would prove as impassable a barrier as a stone wall unlimited in height would to us. Now it is evident that we, as three-dimensional beings, may touch all portions of a plane figure, figure 3, 
without disturbing any of the containing lines. If, then, a number of two-dimensional creatures were placed in such an enclosure, imagine their surprise at finding that there existed an order of beings capable of penetrating matter, as they know it, without in any way disturbing it. A parallel case may be imagined in our own existence if we suppose a being A of the three-dimensional order shut in a hermetically sealed armor-plate vault and suddenly confronted by a being B having a knowledge of the fourth dimension. It might seem possible from these considerations that, with such an advanced state of knowledge, we would be able to extract the pulp from fruit and the kernel from the nut without first removing the outer covering. Likewise, windows for the admission of light or doors for communication with the outside world would no longer be necessary, for the fourth dimension would destroy the present effectiveness of the barrier formed by the six sides of a room. It will be many centuries, if ever, before man can prove the probability of a dimension above the third, but, as we have shown in connection with figure six, we are scarcely justified in denying such an advanced state, merely because all matter can apparently be shown to occupy three-dimensional space. The development of our perceptive senses proceeds very slowly, and, according to the theory of evolution, depends upon the extent of the use of existing faculties. We may be justified, therefore, in presuming that we are infinitely nearer to a realization of the four-dimensional existence, if such exists, than we are to the first dawn of reason. We may consider this ideal state of mental development a possibility if we believe that, in the various stages of his progress, man carries over to each succeeding state a balance of inherent possibilities, which, in the new existence, prove the active influences determining the mental status of the next. In view of this, it might seem possible that that quality of the mind, subconsciousness, is in reality but a subtle force at work evolving greater possibilities in the acquirement of knowledge by the multiplication of the perceptive senses. End of section 17